What is up? What is going on, everybody? We... Oh, crap. We can't even talk about this. Guess it's going to be a short episode. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of the Threequel. Of course, as always, I'm one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein. Here with me, Brad Miller and Mike Duranik. And I, based on reaction, um, I feel like I just set a new standard for myself in terms of best cold open. And if I did, I am proud because this week we are talking my favorite movie of all time. Fight Club. Ooh, big words. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I, uh, thinking back here, I'm, I'm, a, I'm happier now because I've been uh, over the last year, year and a half working out a little bit, and I'm glad to know that I look less and less like Bob on a daily basis. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm doing okay. And, uh, you're looking a little more like Tyler Durden yourself there, Ethan. So uh, let's see how let's see how Mike's doing. With every day that goes by, I am looking more and more like Bob. So I, I may have <laughs> some uh, I may have some work to do, gentlemen. But other than that, I'm. I I think you're more like blonde Jared Leto there, Mike. <laughs> well, I guess I'll take that. Uh, I'll take that. Okay. This is, I mean, just just the references that we just dropped right there already sets the tone for how insane this movie is on so many different levels. I mean, we're, we're talking on this episode about a movie that involves Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, you know, two of the, the best of their kind of generation of actors, uh, and they're acting across Jared Leto who at the time, no one knew. And, oh, by the way, he's a bleach blonde. And Meatloaf wearing what I have to assume is some kind of prosthetic breasts. Because while Meatloaf is a larger fella, um, I, I do not think that his cup size is quite as big as Bob's um, in, in real life. And, and if you just say those few things, people are like, what in the hell did you guys watch this week? Of course, we watched Fight Club. We already said that, and it's, it's the name of the episode. Um, it is quite a trip of a film. Um, I actually just got done re-watching it again about 45 minutes before we hit record on this episode. That was how I wanted to do it uh, for this week. I wanted to just get done watching it and then go right into it. I'm not even going to attempt to throw a number to try to surprise Brad. Um, I have shocked him before with the amount of times I've rewatched other films. I, I could not even tell you how many times I've seen this movie. Um, it is my favorite movie. We will get into all of that. Uh, but before I get too far out ahead of myself, try to rein it back in. I'll ask the question I always ask gentlemen. I know that this is not your first experience with this film for either one of you. So what was your first experience with Fight Club. It came out October of 1999. Did you see it in theaters? Was this a theater experience for you guys? Uh, did you catch it a little bit later, which most people did? This is, uh, you know, one of the historic box office bombs found a cult following. Now more people know about it. This thing was a failure. So were you one of the few people that saw it in theaters? Did you catch it later? What was that experience? And what did you bring in to this rewatch for the threequel? I honestly don't remember um, my first experience. I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, obviously, this film is, uh, what, 22 years old? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't remember. I don't believe I saw it in the theater. I would have been a freshman in college when this came out um and i don't think that i went and saw it with my friends so probably when it came out on uh video this was back when uh, blockbuster was still 
rocking and rolling. So probably a trip down to the local blockbuster to rent it uh, would have been my first experience. But I honestly can't put my finger on when I first saw it. But uh, it, it wasn't too long after it came out. I, I can tell you that because I, I do remember seeing it several times in college. So um, yeah, I, I get not a real uh, compelling story for the podcast listeners there. But that uh, um, yeah, can't really remember. Yeah, I can definitely say that I did not see it in the theater. I would have been in eighth grade uh, at this time, and this would not have been something that uh, in any way, shape, or form caught my eye enough to um, go to the theater for. I do remember watching it. I can't exactly remember which friend's basement it was, but a friend's basement when it had come out on video, um, and it did very quickly get that cult following um, where you just had to see it. You, You heard rumblings about it, and... Um, so yeah, it would have, it would have been, uh, with some friends, um, shortly uh, after the video releases, it started to gain momentum. Yeah. So I did not see this in theaters. This was not something that, uh, my parents took me to when I was four years old, um, back in, in 1999. I was though in eighth grade, the first time that I saw this, Mike mentioned that that's how old he was when this came out. Uh, the summer of 2008 was a great time. Uh, for me and my love of film, we kind of touched on this before, but that was the summer that the dark Knight came out. We've already done that episode. The amount of love I have for that movie. That's one of my favorite films of all time. And that was uh, the same summer that I saw this for the first time. Um, I oddly enough, remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, um, but the way it kind of used to go with previews, uh, like on DVDs, there would always be. So, like, I think this is a Paramount movie. There would be like a, a production company preview that would like clip together. So, like, it, you know, it'd be like a minute long preview of Paramount movies just to like sell the company. And this was always, it's the scene when he, at the end, when he shoots at the van. And Brad Pitt freaks out. Now it would cut before he says, you're shooting at your imaginary friend. But there was just always this image burned in my head of Brad Pitt looking really weird and flipping out. And then someone said to me, well, it's Fight Club. What's Fight Club? Saw it at Walmart in the $5 bin. Got it. Watched it with uh, my stepbrother that summer and was just, from the incident, I saw it completely hooked. Um, I, I don't know if I can say that it was my favorite movie from the exact second that I saw it, but it did not take long for this to just be something that I was completely enthralled in for all number of reasons that we'll, we will get into the style of it, uh, what it's really trying to get after. And of course the amazing twist. So let's get into it. Let's do kind of our overview of you know who's in it who made it then we'll really dive into the movie just so we can get that stuff out of the way it wasn't too long ago that we did moneyball so we've already talked brad pitt um on that episode so we won't spend a whole lot of time on him i will just ask you gentlemen this pretty blanket question it's a question that we ask a lot on this show but it's a conversation that's fun to have and i think this one's a pretty simple answer is this brad pitt's peak you know what my answer is going to be. So, gentlemen, what is your answer to uh, Brad Pitt's peak? And is it Fight Club? Uh, I guess for me, it depends on how you're defining his peak. Um, this is clearly not the peak of his career as far as popularity, earning, um, you know, household name, all of that stuff. But uh, as far as just his acting ability, um, you know how entertaining he is in the film the number of ways he has to stretch himself um i am going to pause for a minute listen to what mike says and get back to you i'm going to check out his imdb and see if i would argue that there's anything better uh for him mike what are your thoughts on that um i think that this is probably I mean, it's it's solidly inside of his Mount Rushmore. I think that uh, I would probably lean towards seven just uh, out of personal preference. Um, I think that the tone of that movie, the the darkness of that movie lends itself to a performance that I have a little more value for. Um, I think that if you asked people 
who are not huge, you know, film fans to think of Brad Pitt, this is the movie they're going to come up with first. Um, but I do think that I would, I would give the slight nudge towards seven for, for his peak. This is definitely in that two or that three slot, however. And I, you know, I, I love seven. Um, I mean, we've talked to, I'm a massive Brad Pitt fan. Um, for me, what makes fight club, what, when I say that I do believe that it is his peak, this is the most he's ever just owned the screen every second that he's on it. I mean, he is insane. The things that he says in this, and does in this movie are crazy and in many ways should be off putting, but the way that he is able to just be the cool, like one of the coolest guys that's ever been on screen. And we're going to get into what this movie's really trying to say and what they're getting after. And so I'm not saying that Tyler Durden is a cool person in the sense of we should emulate him, but his ability to make Tyler Durden a cool character in spite of the things that he's doing and saying, if you really listen to what he's saying is just all the credit in the world to Brad Pitt, just totally buying into the character. So for me, when I say it's his peak, it may not be the best award worthy performance he's given, but it's the most charismatic I've ever seen him for two hours on screen. Yeah, I was just flipping through the IMDb. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that this is probably where I would go as far as just uh, acting ability and things like that. I was a little curious as to how we were going to handle it on here because obviously we know um, the twist of the film. And sorry, I know we're it's 22 years old. We, we can't do spoiler alerts really. But like um, you're calling him Tyler Durden, but in reality... Tyler Durden as Edward Norton. So uh, it, I, it, I watched it differently this time because they call him the narrator when they, when they credit him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the first time I watched it and I noticed he, he was never, his name was never used until it was revealed that he was Tyler Durden. It was really cool how they did that. I, I never noticed that before um, that no one ever said his name uh other names were used obviously when he was going to those groups but uh yeah uh you called brad pitt tyler durden but yeah i don't i don't know how you would technically reference that in a reality situation um if he was a figment of the real tyler durden's imagination yeah i i mean for me in in terms of like when i discuss either one of them on this podcast and just in general um Brad Pitt is Tyler Durden to me. And because at the end of the day, that isn't even, I I don't believe at all that there's like a birth certificate anywhere that would attach the name Tyler Durden to Edward Norton's character. Because when he, when the twist is revealed, he says to Brad Pitt, you own a house. And his response is, and it's in your name. It's not, it's in Tyler's name or it's in our name. He says it's in your name. So to me, that's him saying like, I'm Tyler Durden. I am this creation. You are still something else. You're not me. I'm the cooler version of you. This isn't you. So he's referred to as the narrator in IMDb. And in the book, I don't know if in the first book they give him a name. There is a second book that's actually a graphic novel. Of course I'm read because I love everything about this. And in that, they explicitly just call him Jack. So that would be in reference to those articles that he's reading. He is actually reading that about himself or that he is attributing that to himself. So the only official name that anyone that's ever been associated with this has ever actually given him is Jack or the narrator. Just to be super nerdy and information that maybe no one else cares about. Well, I I do care a little and uh, sorry, Mike, to interrupt you there, but uh uh yeah after we hear what mike has to say i want to dig into that for just a minute if uh, if you think time will allow on this on this podcast so mike go ahead what were you going to say well i was i was going to say i interpreted it the same way that, that ethan did i think the the key thing for me there is whatever the narrator's name is we don't get it but i think he has a given name that is not tyler durden I think he's been going around calling himself that. And the key is when he is looking at him and says, you own a house in your name, all this stuff is in your name. Um, So that's, that's what I took away from it as well. 
See, I, I guess I might have missed that part, but to me, when um, Helena Bonham Carter calls him Tyler Durden and the airplane tickets say Tyler Durden and, you know, there's there's other things there, um, I guess, yeah, I didn't put the piece together with the uh, the house in your name sort of thing, but um, yeah, that's, that's interesting, Ethan. I, I'm, I hadn't gone there, but obviously I have not dug into this like you have, so... Um, if his birth name is not Tyler Durden, um, they do a really good job of just keeping that identity hidden throughout the entire film. Um, so you really have no idea who either person is uh, in reality. Obviously, you know, Brad Pitt does not really exist. But um, yeah, it was just it was it was really well done in, in ways that I appreciated more this time than any other time I've watched it before. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, the two sides of this coin is Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. We've talked about Edward Norton on this podcast before. Um, we did a real deep dive into his career for Primal Fear. Um, and I think we all agreed on that, that that is obviously, in terms of just powerhouse acting, his peak. So we don't need to jump too much into Edward Norton um, because there is so much to talk about with this film. But if you guys want to say anything, this is... This is the first Edward Norton film I ever saw. I do know that. Um, it's weird. My actual, I, I saw this that summer of 08. It was around the time Iron Man came out. And then late summer, early fall, Incredible Hulk came out. So my, my introduction with Edward Norton was, wow, I love this Fight Club movie. And this guy's going to be the Hulk. And they ended up not being the Hulk. But that was kind of my initial experience with Edward Norton. Of course, I have gone back and filled in the gap between the two in his filmography. But if there's anything you guys want to say about him, his performance, uh, just kind of on the base level before we really get into some of the deeper stuff from the movie. I think that uh, in a lot of ways, Edward Norton is still underrated. Um, I think that just in pure acting ability, I think he's he's a better actor than Brad Pitt. I think that Brad Pitt has um, more screen, you know, more appeal visually for, well, especially for the ladies. But he's also just he's got a cooler look to himself. He can kind of play a lot of different uh, roles that are um, appealing to guys and 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 the ladies. But um, I think if you really look at it, some of the movies that Ed Norton's done, if you would compare his you know we like to say mount rushmore his top four or five movies are probably just as good or better than um brad pitt's when you're looking at an act from an acting standpoint um so yeah i don't know if we would really go there as far as you know how you're classifying a better actor is it is it you know more um more appeal is it better acting is it are the movies better um but I think pound for pound, he's he's got he could put his career up against just about anybody and and uh, go down swinging um, when it comes to your top four or five films that he's in. You know, again, I, I'm sure we talked about this when we talked Primal Fear, um, but for me, it would be Primal Fear. Um, you know, this rounders in American History X. But the crazy thing. Those were four of his first six movies, and then. It's not that he hasn't done anything since then, but he certainly hasn't achieved those peaks. And those movies are all slightly different in different ways. He plays different. Um, that said, from 96, those four out. And that's a pretty impressive uh, list. It hasn't been anything, to my eye at least, on that peak uh, or anywhere close to it in the last 22 years. Yeah, I, I mean... Brad, like you said, pound for pound, Edward Norton's talent and ability, his peaks have been higher than the peaks of Brad Pitt's, I would say absolutely. In terms of career longevity, I mean, we had this conversation last week with Miles Teller. I have always heard that Edward Norton, not the, the nicest guy, not the, the best guy to be around on set. Um, and then the flip side of it, Brad Pitt, I know any ladies listening to this probably still have a vendetta with Brad Pitt about how his relationship with Jennifer Aniston went. Not going to get, we're not going to get into that. Um, but from a working standpoint, 
he is a producer. He is quite often doing all all sides of the films that he is in. He's built up a good reputation in Hollywood for his 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 work ethic on the set, and that has absolutely lended itself to a much broader career where he gets to kind of pick and choose whatever he wants to do. And he lands these very charismatic roles because he's a charismatic guy. So a lot of it I think is probably off the set that leads to more on the set successes in terms of dollar signs and, and things like that. But um, I think the only other person to really touch on, there's a ton of people in this movie. Um, of course, Helena bottom Carter um, in terms of on screen, um, I'll admit I've never been a huge Helena Bottom Carter fan. I am not a Tim Burton fan. Um, you know, I haven't gone back and watched Batman 89 since I was 10 years old, probably since Batman Begins came out. Not my vibe. Um, I don't know where you guys are at on that. If you want to say anything, I, I will say that the things I don't te- typically like about her, why she fits so well in Tim Burton movies made her perfect for this. Her brand of crazy, her brand of wild was 100% what needed to be Marla Singer. And in a relationship that there's no reason to be invested in, the way she plays this character time and time again brings me back to an attachment to, I guess it is a love triangle that we see until we know what's actually happening. But I do think she is perfect for this, even if I've not been her biggest fan. Yeah, I mean, ask, you know, about her. I was trying to think. I think the only other thing I could tell you that uh, she was in, you know, without looking just off the top of my head was Harry Potter. Um, And that's just because, you know, my my kids like watching that and I've seen her in it. I don't know that I could name another film that she's in. that I've seen. I'm looking right now. Every Tim Burton. Um, movie. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, I don't watch those. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen them actually. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm flipping through here outside of this and Harry Potter. Um, I really, you know, maybe I've seen one or two of these films, but um, this is, this is it for me really. Cause I'm not even a, a Harry Potter fan. Um, she was in, I guess, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I saw that uh, um, one time, but it was it was not good. Um, outside of that, yeah, I don't I don't really see much on here for her that uh, is appealing to me. So this is it for Helena Bonham Carter as far as my, um, you know, being a fan of her work. So, uh, but but she does really well in this. I think she's perfect casting for that role. Um, for what they needed to, to offset the crazy that uh, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt were bringing to this. Yeah. I mean, I, she's got a, a very um, recognizable um, face in her acting. I, I've got to have seen her in something else, but I'm going through things. I, I saw her in Les Miserables, um, but uh, you know, that wasn't a huge role. She was in that. Um, otherwise I don't know what I've seen her in um, at all. So yeah, she looks looks more familiar than she is. I certainly know the name, um, and I'm just scrolling through her. Uh, I don't see anything really jumping out at me major from her film, uh, from her television uh, history either. So, uh, I, I would agree. I think that she did great in this part. I definitely know her the best from this, and uh, I think she plays extremely well opposite of Norton in this. The last person to touch on in terms of production, of course, would be the director David Fincher. Um, I'm a, I'm a massive David Fincher fan. He got his start doing uh, music videos, which is where a lot of directors in this time in the nineties came up doing music videos. That's the, that's the story for a lot of guys that got famous in this time. Uh, did one of the alien sequels. It tanked, uh, you know, alien three, just famously just one of the worst sequels of all time. If you look up any list, it's going to be on there. He then bounces back with, I mean, one of the more impressive runs. I think Fincher is one of those names. If you just say it to casual movie fans, they're not going to know. And then you start listing names off and they're going to be, the eyebrows are going to start raising higher and higher because after Alien 3, he rolls out Seven, The Game, Fight Club, 
Panic Room, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, Social Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. That's his next 20 years almost. And that is a wickedly impressive run um, from, from any director. And for me, I was never the biggest Gone Girl fan. fan. Brad, I think you are. Um, Benjamin Button, I can kind of take it or leave it. You're raising your eyebrows. Am I getting something? Mixed? Well, no, you said I, I would not classify myself as the biggest Gone Girl fan. I, I enjoyed the film, um, but I'm, I'm not standing in the corner rooting for it. Um, okay. It was good, and I'd watch it again. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's been a, it's been long enough that I've seen it. I'd want to go back and rewatch it before I attach my name for people out there scoffing at my uh, my uh, ability to discern what a good movie is. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of these, uh, I, I will stand on that soapbox for Benjamin Button is, you know, haven't gone back and rewatched it in a while. I, you know, take it or leave it, but growth dragon tattoo, I think is like one of the criminal, how did we never get a sequel? I think it's so great, very hard to watch, but amazing social network, you know, one of the greatest, how did this not win best picture? Uh, Zodiac's fantastic, you know, got my guy Hall in it. So just the career that he's had of all those things I listed to me, like his, his low point is like the game and panic room. And they're both still fantastic thrillers, you know? So I, I don't know where you guys are at with Fincher. If you were kind of on that side of who's Fincher. Oh, okay. Or if you've always been fans of his, but um, obviously I know where we all land on seven, but uh, this is not my world. I, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you who David Fincher is uh, before you started reading through his uh, list of accomplishments there. Uh, but yeah, very, very talented director. Um, uh, but yeah, this is more your speed than I think than, than Mike or I's. But uh, yeah, he's he's got quite the list there. It's very impressive. Yeah, I'm probably in the middle. I, if you would have said Fincher, I would have gotten this. Uh, I would have gotten seven. I would have been able to also name for your social network and Gone Girl probably. Uh, also, his association with um, House of Cards. Yep. Um, I, I would have been able to get you there. Uh, some of the other ones I wouldn't have been able to. That handles all of the production stuff. Let's just dive into you know really the the crux of this movie. Of course, you know years later this thing has such a legacy i think because of the twist right so many people when you mention fight club that is where people are going to go we've had conversations about twists before um on this podcast you know did you see it coming things like that we'll have that conversation but i think what makes this one so great to me and what i watched this time um i i did specifically brad you said you were trying to watch it a certain way when i watched it this afternoon my focus was trying to see how obvious the twist was. I, I was trying to just pick out when, how many times do they just openly tell you that there is a twist? Because I think what makes this one so great, one of the things, is that it, it falls into kind of its own category. You know, like we talked about prisoners, right? Prisoners had a twist of we're presented with this mystery what is the answer to the mystery going to be? Oh, it's a surprise that that's the answer. Next week, we're doing The Departed. The Departed has a great twist in it for an entirely different reason because it has nothing to do with the mystery and they just drop something on you right in the middle of the movie. This, there is a, um, there's a question being asked that is being asked louder and louder throughout the film of, what is going on with these two? What is happening with this guy? Something is off. And then it ramps up over about 15 minutes of screen time to all of the sudden, oh, we're going to be surprised by something. And it is the fact that we've watched this entire movie the wrong way. And I think that is what gives this thing such legs. That's why it got such a legacy after it failed in the box office is because it's not just a simple, hey, this is a murder mystery movie and you'll never guess who did it. It's, it's this movie, there's these guys, one of them's really charismatic, one of them's kind of a loser, just wait and see what happens. So in that context, I will ask you guys, did you see, do you remember seeing the twist coming originally? 
having any inclination of it at all. And when you think back on, you know, the movies that you can think of off the top of your head, am I right in saying that this is, for me, it's the greatest, but do you guys agree that this is one of the, one of the best, at least has those legs because of kind of how I framed that? Uh, wow. That's a, there's several questions within your question there. Um, let me, let me touch on a few things. I, I watched it again, like you said, in a certain kind of way uh, for myself. And I think that they picked a couple of um, cheat codes, maybe if that's how you want to say it. I think that if you're looking for the twist to be revealed, um, Marla Singer, Helena Bottom Carter, I think is your first thing that you look to. I think she gives it away several times in the way she interacts with him. Um, and then they, they even said, you know, he alluded to they're never in the room at the same time, you know, things like that. I think it's that relationship. If, if they were giving you a, um, a decipher ring or something to figure this out beforehand, she's the, she's the secret code to, to figuring it out. And I think secondly, it's the way that the guys in the fight club, kind of look at each other at different times when you know tyler's acting a little weird because you know he's he's probably doing and saying things in a way that just don't make sense to them because it's happening right in front of their eyes um especially that car scene where he's you know theoretically in the passenger seat um i don't know exactly how to explain that um because he's got to be driving the car right um but then he's talking to himself there and then looking back at them, you know, like, so I, I think there's a few scenes there where it really uh, points to it. Um, I think that the, f you asked if we saw it, you know, when we saw it the first time, if we saw it coming, I, I don't, I probably didn't, I don't remember exactly. I couldn't even remember when I saw it first, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a really cool reveal as far as being the biggest twist ever. Um, you know, I, I'd have to dig into that a little more before I would just say absolutely. But I think it's done in a way that is probably the coolest, most like it, it, it's a, it's a quick reveal, but it's also kind of revealed over a, a long period of time. I just, I like how they did it. And then he's kind of trying to, um, think it through. So then you see some scenes from his, you know, you replacing Brad Pitt where you saw the, the scene with him. Um, and then those fights were technically, you know, he's fighting himself and they show those that's, that's really cool too. Um, so it's definitely probably the coolest reveal. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I guess as far as, uh, more shocking or, or better done reveals. I, I don't know where I stand on that. And after we hear Mike's uh, answer to some of those questions, I, I do have a couple other things that I wanted to point out that I noticed about uh, the, the Tyler Durden um, introduction slash, you know, kind of morphing more and more into one as the, as the movie goes along. Well, I think that you you stated it really well, Brad, so I won't belabor it. I will just highlight a couple of things. For me, when I started to really think, okay, something's very off here, it was through the interaction between Ed Norton and uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character, and it was really the one scene where um, Brad Pitt's at the base of the basement stairs feeding lines up to Ed Norton. Um, that was the, the first time when I watched this that I remember being like, something's off there, like, is... And, and I didn't quite hit the the multiple personality or the, the dissociated identity stuff uh, as much as like, is it an imaginary friend or something? But I did start going down the like, okay, one of, one of these guys isn't there, right? Th this can't possibly be the way that this is playing out based off of the way she reacted in that scene. Um, as far as is it the greatest plot twist of all time? Um, you know, as I kind of roll through in my mind, what are the great plot twists of all time? There's a number of good ones out there. I think that this one for B, this one has an advantage in it, which is that many of the other ones, they have to be kind of like hiding in plain sight to you. Um, you know, think of the usual suspects. Um, you you can try to kind of figure that one out. It, it's not hiding the ball in such a way like this one is. Because this is presented to you as if these are two live human beings 
for the bulk of this time. Um, unless you are really looking for it, it's, I think, easier to hide this one. That does not make it any less impressive. It's just a different type of uh, of a plot twist. Yeah, I, I think that watching it this time, I, I mean, I was watching it just begging, you know, where did you give this away? And when you know the twist, there's so many times where they don't even care to hide it. You know, like, I mean, they, they literally write in that this is a thing. Um, you know, I mean, there's the stuff at the beginning. I, I don't know if you guys noticed this way back when or if you've read about it, but there's the, the quick flashes of Brad Pitt in the first five minutes of the movie. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So if you're paying attention, there's like three, it's the first time he's in his office, the first time he's at the testicular cancer group, and the first time that he's talking to his doctor, Brad Pitt flashes on screen. And an allusion to like how he cuts things into film, he, like, he he's just there. It's quick, but like his arms around the doctor, he's standing behind the group leader, and I think he's just like leaning up against the copier, but he's there. So right there if if you catch that the first time you're in the theater i mean congrats to you because that takes a quick eye i knew about it because i read about it later but you know right there is just something obviously this thing is in his subconscious so they're setting they're planting those seeds and then you know mike you said the th- the scene with marla singer where he's feeding him the lines that starts earlier when he's at the doctor and he even says there's so it's there's there's so many times that tyler speaks for me and he's sitting in the doctor's office saying, I just fell down some stairs. And then he repeats it. I just fell down some stairs. So like, there's so many scenes in this movie where they're just saying like, mm-hmm. this is an imaginary friend. He does not control because, and I remember being confused by those things, but I think what makes it so good, kind of like I said, is that it's just the twist isn't on your mind. You're not trying to solve a mystery. You're just watching these two guys interact. Like that's what this movie is presented as. It's just, these two friends whose craziness is escalating. And so it just takes your focus off of the idea that there could be a twist. Brad, I know you said you had a couple more thoughts. Yeah, I think um, the, the thing that the beginning introduced on the airplane, they, he's walking here, you know, he's in the airport. He looks at that red sports car and then, you know, you see tight, um i think you know that's them saying okay obviously that car is not really stolen ed norton is still standing in the airport he didn't steal the car that's ed norton saying in his mind man i really wish i could steal that car that's a really nice car so he he envisions tyler stealing it or you know in his mind that's why it happens because he thought you know hey it'd be cool to, to see this and then you you see some other things where it Tyler's there, but it's, I don't believe it's really Ed Norton doing it. It's Ed Norton thinking like, you know, Hey, this, this would be cool if this happened or this would be cool. This happened. And then I really appreciated how, as it went along, they were more, they were closer together. Um, they were, you know, their scenes were filmed in a different way at the beginning and it got more and more intense to where it's showing you that, okay, now, these two are in constant connection at all times. It's not you have two different people or two different personalities. It's like you have two personalities controlling this body at the same time doing all this stuff. And that's where I think Project Mayhem really um, is taking off is when Tyler has lost complete control of who's controlling Tyler. Um, and I really appreciated how they filmed it this way this time. And I, I hadn't noticed some of those nuances before um, when watching it. So it's cool to to know that when you're going to discuss this on a podcast or something, you know, you might watch it a little bit differently and pick up on some of that stuff. And it's made me appreciate some of the the writer and director's abilities to, to tell this story in, in such a unique way. Well, the one that I forgot, too, which I think it's the greatest one, uh, when he kicks the shit out of himself in his boss's office. And it pauses and he says, I thought back to my first fight with Tyler. And th- that's just so great. The fact that they are just willing to just say these things, 
knowing that it's giving it away, but to us it's not because the framework of this movie is that both of these guys, mostly Tyler, say insane shit that makes no sense. Right? Like, I mean, every single thing out of Tyler's mouth is a quote that you will remember that you have no ability to define its relevance. Right? Like, the stuff that he said, the you know, you are not a unique or beautiful snowflake. Um, uh, self-destruction, or no, self-improvement, that's masturbation. Self-destruction, now that, like, just these things that are just like, it sounds cool because Brad Pitt is saying it, and it looks cool while he's saying it. He's insane. But it, like, trains your mind to just accept that they're just going to spout whatever they want to. And so in that scene if you're looking for a twist and this guy starts beating himself up and for whatever reason, he connects this to his first fight with Tyler, that may raise a red flag. But in this movie, it's like, okay, he's all right. What? I don't know why he's thinking that, but sure, I'm going to go with it. So in that, I just think it's, it's just an amazing credit to this movie. Uh, how, how they were able to do that. Let's play the rotten tomatoes game. Um, who is it? Brad first this week. I think I went first last week because uh, Mike right. ended up going five or six points, I think, higher than me, and we were both low. So um, I, I believe it's Mike's turn. All right. So, Mike, what is the sitting Rotten Tomato score for Fight Club? All right. So, not 100. Well, I'm torn here because I feel like there are two ways that this could go. Um, it was, as you pointed out, not a critical success. It became a cult following off after. And so sometimes that would indicate a lower critical score, uh, critic score. Sometimes that would indicate a high critic score. And then it was kind of a cult following after that. Um, I'm going to go I'm between two numbers that are very far apart. So I'm almost going to coin toss this in my mind. And I am going to go with... Um, 78 i'm gonna go on the low end and then i'll tell you what my other number was after brad picks wow um you know my number probably wasn't going to be too far off from that um for a lot of the reasons you stated and i feel like this is one of those movies that if it hits your demographic and it 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 that that niche of uh film that you're into you're gonna love it it's you're gonna be like ethan and have it your number one or you know someone like myself who could argue you know how good it is um i, I don't know that i would necessarily rank it in my top 10 i'd have to you know or, or anything like that but it's very good um but then I think you're going to have people that just don't get it. You know, um, there's going to be a lot of people that it's just, it's too crazy. There's too many things going on. Um, it's, you know, wh whatever, maybe that it's too gory. So I'm going to go with, uh, uh, 81, uh, just because I, I think it snuck into the eighties. Um, but I think that, uh, um, Mike's guess was not too far off there. So, Brad said 81 and Mike said 78, correct? Yes, sir. So I would like a pat on the back uh, for not seeing this, because this was the first I had looked it up, and just not you know throwing my phone and just ruining the whole thing. It is at 79. Um, so by the slimmest of margins, Mike will take this one. I, I am obviously offended by that number. Um and it's weird because the consensus, the little snippet that they give, solid acting, amazing direction, and elaborate production make Fight Club a wild ride. There's no negatives in that to me. I would agree with all of those things. And yet, you're telling me that 21 out of 100 people say no thank you. But to that end, and for what it's worth, the audience score is 96. So quite a difference. What Brad said, though, is something I have experienced, and it's strange. So, um, you know, we talked about Warrior, a film that I love, love more than the two of you. You guys thought it was good. I, of course, that, you know, it's just a movie that's just always hit home with me, and it's great. When I show Warrior to people, 
if they walk away from it saying thumbs down, no, I question some things about what's going on inside of them and wonder if they truly love anything in life. And it, and it, it affects my outlook on them. When I showed warrior to my girlfriend, I was nervous because if she just hated that movie, I don't know if we were coming back from that. Kidding. Of course, <laughs> fight club. I showed it to her and we made it 20 minutes before she got distracted. Something came up. We, we went and took care of that. And we have not gone back and finished it because she hasn't had an inclination to. And it offends me not at all. Because I understand what Brad is saying. And there's just a love that I have for this movie that is so deep that I don't need to share it with anyone else, if that makes sense. And I can also understand why Brad Pitt getting his face beaten in and spitting blood on some guy works for me, works for some people, is a complete turnoff for others. And I can understand that. So this is, I do understand, a polarizing movie. I still choose to be offended by a 79. Well, I was on the other side. I mean, like I said, I had two numbers, and I was convinced that this thing did not land in the 80s. I was convinced it was either high 70s or low 90s. Um, so, I, I mean, that's just seriously just luck of the of the, the draw there. But um, 92 was the other number I was going to go with. And I think it just really it does come down to the the nature of this movie is polarizing enough just in terms of the scenes that you're looking at that either you do love it for all of its little intricacies and all the little breadcrumbs that they leave um, or you don't. And that's about it. I'm just going to say, uh, Ethan, you're, you're full of shit. What? Um, <laughs> you, I know that this girl has you whipped. If, you're going to look at this and say, I don't care if she's into it or not, because I've seen you in other relationships in the past and you would have broken up with some of these girls if they had said, I don't like Fight Club or I don't like this movie or I don't like this movie. So in some ways, I guess this shows the strength of your relationship or maybe it shows some maturity on your part. But I know in the past that uh, this would have been a deal breaker for some of your relationships. I don't, I, 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 I do, I mean, we don't need to get into a deep dive of my relationships, but just in general, <laughs> there's something about the way I feel about this movie. And maybe I have matured a little bit, but this isn't one that, like, if I'm watching this movie, I don't want to experience it with someone who's not going to enjoy it. Like, the love I have for this movie, when I put this on, I want to just be able to dive completely into the world and not care about what else is going on around me. And so if I'm going to be with someone who's not going to love it, I'm okay saving it for myself. That's where, I've, where I'm at He's now. like, so what? Who cares? I am not completely disagreeing with Brad that at certain times in my life, I may or may not have ended certain things based on opinions of films. But you got to, you know. You gotta, 100%. 100%. You got to find your lines, you know, wherever they may be. Um she does love warrior though so we're good there um let's wrap it up with favorite line favorite scene let's do favorite scene first and then i'll be interested to see which uh tyler durden quote we all go with but um gentlemen does anyone want to go first you want me to go first i'll go i'll kick it off um my favorite scene is Uh, the scene that starts with the beginning credits when it says Fight Club and then the scene that ends when the final credits roll. That's my favorite scene. It's about two hours and 20 minutes. Um, but if I have to pick any single segment from that, um, I would just say the thing, just the moment I remember like being fully locked into this movie the very first time, the moment that I felt like this movie is cool, this movie is different, I love what I'm seeing, is just that first real night of Fight Club. Um, you know, it transitions from, I think he's at his office and he's kind of explaining like, a, you know, all I think about during the day is Saturday night. And it's the first time that they get in the basement of the bar. And the song that plays when they walk through, there's the tracking shot following Brad Pitt and Ed Norton through that bar. They open up, they go down, they pan the camera back. He gives the rules for the first time. That is just to me like, the definition of cool there are certain movies and certain scenes that have it 
that one does between the music, the way they shoot it, going in there, you get the rules for the first time, um, which are, you know, quotable in and of themselves. Uh, so that would be my favorite scene, that first true night of Fight Club. Um, I mean, that's a that's a very good one. I will go probably just to the the scene where uh, Ed Norton, where the narrator realizes he's been Tyler um, Durden all along. Um, just I like the way that they did that. I, they made good use uh, through that stretch of some flashbacks that removed Brad Pitt from the picture, but they didn't go over on that. Um, I thought the dialogue was pretty good, so I would uh, lean towards that scene as my favorite. Yeah, uh, this is not an easy one for me. I've gone back and forth a lot. Uh, some of the simple things that stand out to me in this film are the ones where he is um, he's really starting to rail on the consumerism stuff and realizing how he's basically addicted to... Um, you know, buying things and letting it define himself. I think that, uh, that has always kind of stood out to me. I've, I've wrestled throughout my life. Um, uh, so those things stand out when I think of it, but I don't know that that would qualify as my favorite scene. I'm going to probably go with, uh, just to me, the most memorable is right at the end when, um, you know, you, you've got the smoke, uh, coming from from Brad Pitt as that character's dying. You've got Ed Norton with a hole in the side of his face. You've got uh, Helena Bonham Carter standing there, and they grab each other's hand, and uh, that song starts playing. Um, I forget the name of it. Uh, it's perfect song for the ending of this, and then you just see those buildings start to explode, and it's just like, what am I watching? Like It is just crazy to think that this group of morons pulled this off you know like these sheep following tyler durden pull this off in a way that you know it's, it's quite impressive really um and you're just kind of thinking like how does this guy survive this just a really you know kind of cool moment um uh of you know something that i haven't seen in another film so i'll go with that one as my favorite scene all right gentlemen uh what is your favorite line and why is it that sticking feathers in your butt does not make you a chicken? <laughs> Go ahead if you guys are ready. Um, I mean, I, I can give you mine, my line. And again, it's not the best. It's not the most deep, the most philosophical. But it is the one that I smiled at the most uh, upon rewatch. And it was just Ethan actually referenced it or even said it earlier. Okay, now you're firing a gun at your imaginary friend near 400 gallons of nitroglycerin. So that that one took it for me on the rewatch. That that might be mine too. I mean, but like just the way he delivers it. I mean, yeah. that it, the argument for this being peak Brad Pitt, I think, is strengthened by his delivery in that moment, his physical acting, the tone yeah. of his. I mean, it's just perfect. Because we've gone completely overboard, right? And that's part of what I think it improves the twist. The fact that we get a half hour after the twist. Now we yeah. get to watch the rest of this movie with the two of them interacting, knowing that it's his imaginary friend. And then we actually acknowledge it in that moment, I think is great, right? It's comedic, but it is also incredibly smart to just address the insanity of what we are seeing. Um, mine, I don't know. There, <laughs> there's something about, I think that for Brad, you mentioned that first scene introducing Tyler Durden the way that they do. And this is one of those things you ask me tomorrow, my favorite line is going to change because I love every line of this movie. There was something that just stuck out about this time when he says, you know, you are without a doubt the most interesting single serving friend I've ever had. And he kind of looks at him and gives him that second. And he starts to explain like, you know, everything on a plane to see, Oh no, I get it. That that's clever. How's that working out for you? Being clever. Good. Well, keep it up. There's like, it's so condescending. He does not mean keep it up, but the way that he delivers that, I think just instantly introduces like, this guy is going to be the coolest dude you've ever met. And the, and what we find out, the reason he's the coolest dude you ever met is because he's someone's version of what would it be like if I was cool. So uh, crazy i would not have picked this you know yesterday but how's that working out for you huh being clever is is my favorite line from the movie i i'm gonna go with two just because 
one I just found funny, and then another one I think was kind of a poignant part of the movie. Um, first one is uh, uh, Ed Norton as the narrator, and it says Tyler sold his soap to department stores at twenty dollars a bar. <laughs> Lord knows what they charged. It was beautiful. We were selling rich women their own fat asses back to them. Um, that one made me chuckle. But the one that was more a little more poignant was um, it's a. I'll just kind of read it here. Uh, man, I see in Fight Club the strongest and sm- smartest men who've ever lived. I see all this potential, and I see squandering an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need we're in the we're we're in the middle or we're the middle children of mystery man no purpose or place we have no great war no great depression our great war is a spiritual war our great depression is our lives we've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars but we won't and we're slowly learning the fact and we're very very pissed off um I think that that kind of uh, sums up a lot of what the angst of the the people in this movie are. They're trying to figure out how to make something of their lives or to feel a part of something that's that's just missing there. And I think that indicates that spiritual war, too, that that he's talking about there. It's really deep, um, deep thing that Tyler Durden was saying there. And we mentioned his... uh, um, funny lines you know those throwaway one-liners that are clever but is also a very deep well thought uh character with a lot of things that uh, you know can really get you thinking um if you listen to what he's saying and that was one of them for me yeah i think i mean the things he says like i said like he is crazy but of course there are the you know the things you own end up owning you that's completely true the things like that, obviously he's a crazy man. Um, and he goes about this whole creating a domestic terrorist organization. Um, (laughs) not a great way to go about life, but there are things that get said in this movie that stick with you because crazy as they may be, there's some truth written in underneath. There is one line in this film that I think of more than any other line, um, in my life. And I don't know if what what you're what you're getting at here with your pointing, Ethan. And stuff, I was getting but, ready to say the same thing. And if it's the same line, I'm going to be really impressed. Well, I think of it often, and I it's kind of a it, it's something that you have to think of, and it's the etiquette question. Is that yeah, the one you were going to talk about? That is 100 about to end the show with this. Well, I'll, I'll let you take no, it then, because this question, this question, every single time I'm in a crowd and walking down an aisle, I think of this. Am I going to give this person the ass or the crotch? And I've even said it out loud. I've, yes. I've looked at people in the line and I said, hey, man, I got to decide. I'm sorry. Am I giving you the ass or the crotch? And and then you, you do it and you, you turn different ways for different people. It's It's inevitable. And I think about it every time. I'm at a concert or a sporting event or whatever. So, yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts as you take us home there. That Mike, do you do you think about this as well in remembrance of Fight Club? Um, I don't know that I think of it in remembrance of Fight Club, but I do think it is a what makes this movie good is that it is something that people do think about. They just brought it to the forefront. Yeah, that's one hundred percent. I was going to say, uh, ever since I saw this movie, every single time I pass someone in a crowded place, I think about ass or crotch. Personally, I'm an ass man. Um, you can take that however you want, but that is how I've chosen to live my life. Um, and also from the day I saw this movie, I've always just assumed that oxygen masks are on planes to get you high. Don't know if that's true or not, but I've always believed it because they say it with so much confidence. Um, but I think that will wrap up, uh, before I start getting too weird with any of my personal preferences, we'll end the podcast there as Mike covers his face. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the threequel, giving me an opportunity to talk about my favorite movie of all time, giving these guys a chance to give their thoughts on it as well. I will never turn down an opportunity to talk about this movie uh, ad nauseum. Next week, we are going to wrap up the month of October with Mike's pick. Of course, this was my pick for the month. Next week, we have Mike's choice. And that is, and I have to say it this way, it was a crime that I didn't earlier, The Departed. Uh, the the Boston crime film, our second Boston crime film in as many months, a uh, very different take 
on that on that crime scene. Um, we did the town. Now we're doing the departed. I won't keep making people listen to my terrible Boston accent. We'll see how many Boston accents get thrown around. That'll be next week. This week was Fight Club. Thank you again for supporting the show, guys. Other than that, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan, and we'll see you next time.